Welcome to that Greaves and Rooney Sports Podcast. I'm Martin Rooney. I'm Dan Greaves. We've got a very, very special one today. We have uh, our first official guest, other than Alice the dog. Yeah. An actual human. A human this time. Not hairy. And not licky. Uh, I don't know. Well, oh. Not with us. Yeah, not with us. <laughs> um, yeah, we're today we're chatting to Harry AA, the man mountain that is the top British sprinter. One of the, the the best British sprinters we've had over the... Well, he's been around for a long time. We've uh, seen him win medals for us at European level, at world level, Commonwealth level. Um, and he's someone who's like a... It's a bit like myself. He's always part of the squad somehow. We, right. We've just been around there for a long time. So Yeah, but he's, he, he trains hard, works hard. He's He's got a good ethic. He's obviously uber talented. and Someone who brings a lot of positivity to the sport as well. I think... Um, it's something that's missed. Uh, we don't always see it because you'll only like catch the little glimpses and stuff. But the positivity he brings to his training, to being part of a relay squad, even if he's not part of the the strike four, he's someone who's always willing to give everything to the guys. So it's um it's it's an honour to get him on the pod. It's great to have him, a, a, an old friend, on there. Um, my first time I met Harry was on the English schools bus to Sheffield in two thousand and. Oh, I don't even know what year it was. Early 2000s. Early Scott. 2000s, yeah. He came and introduced himself to everybody on the bus just to be polite and being a nice gentleman. And it was a, yeah, I've known him for a very long time. Yeah. When the same. I met Harry, I was at uni and then Harry, Harry migrated up here. Um, maybe what, 2007? 2007. Yeah. And just instantly thought this guy swallowed a gym. You know, <laughs> he is this muscle on muscle and yeah, just. He had, I guess he had that bodybuilder frame for for the start of his career, and and it, and he's kind of toned it down a little bit um, over the years because um, you know he just looks at weights and puts on mass. So he's been really focusing on his speed stuff, and he's obviously he's a strong strong guy. Um, he's but a, yeah, he's pretty much you two are pretty much the only big heavy heavy lifters in the gym these days, aren't you? Like, mm. there's one or two other guys, but like you've over the years, you two have been at the top of the the leaderboard for a long time. Only me and Bench. Like, Harry is just, you know, his front squat. I can remember seeing him front squat, like, I think 180. 180. Oh, roughly about 170, 180 front squat, or maybe even 190. I might have been doing him in just if. But he's so strong. And then, yeah, he's clean about 170. He's deadlifted like 200 plus. And you think, like, those stats are really impressive on their own. But for a guy who's got to be fairly lightweight to, to sprint, nearly sub 10 is, yeah, is equally it, as important at the end of the day he's not a weightlifter and he's lifting numbers not far off of where yeah. those Olympic lifters would be lifting he's uh, for the weight category he'd be in and stuff he's um, ridiculously powerful and um, if you've ever seen him do some hops I think there's some pictures of him on the internet uh, where he uh, looks like he's floating he's floating in the air so um, yeah it was brilliant to get him on uh, it was brilliant to chat I think we uh, it was kind of a short window unfortunately just because of time constraints but we're hoping to get him on because I think I barely think we scratched the surface with Harry. I think there's a, there's so much more to talk about. He's yeah. got so much more to offer, and um, I really enjoyed it. I really had a good time chatting to him. I don't know. We'll try and get him on for a couple of couple more parts. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, he, he spoke about his up and coming career, how he developed, um, and and just like his philosophy, which I found really interesting. So, um, yeah, we you know we hope you enjoy this pod. And um, I think right now we'll probably cut to the elite athlete 
restaurant yeah. where are we in where we chatted to him less of us more of harry Commonwealth champion for discus Dan. Rooney gets the goal! Medal at the last four Paralympic Games. Martin Rooney ran a great race in lane one. Great character. Well done, Dan Greaves. So, first uh, podcast with a guest. <laughs> first podcast indeed. Welcome, Harry AA. Thanks, dude. I'm here and I'm about. Thanks for having me. We are today. We're recording from the Elite Athlete Centre Cafe. So apologies <laughs> yeah. if there's a bit of background noise, but we are getting slightly hungry. Yeah, well, it was it's just the factor of getting, you know, that that sort of mindset, being around other athletes, you know, just trying to have something to talk about whilst we look about at the same time, you know. Have you eaten here, Harry? <laughs> yeah, I've eaten here. It's actually quite a good concept. I mean, um, the fact that it's so close to the track. Um, you know, coming here, getting some good food, healthy food, something that can fill you up, buffet type style, gourmet meals. Um, goes a long way, to be fair, when you finish a training session. Um, I mean, you can overeat, but I guess if you've it's just done a session. It's all you can session, eat for seven, seven pounds. It's yeah. like coming here when you, when you finish a tough There's session. definitely you... some perks here to be had. It's just um, just being wise with it. It's definitely got that camp mentality about it. Something that um, I'd say a lot of people should come and try. The three of us are probably the b- biggest advocates for Selling off, bro. Three kings. Yeah. <laughs> so Dan, you've been your localish. Yeah, That's that's one thing. Like you boys are both from South London, so you've you've migrated here, and yeah, like that is you know shop. for me, it's literally just around the corner. Like I live in Leicestershire, so it's it's like on the doorstep. But you've come here for a solid reason. I mean, don't pl- downplay it, dude. I know, I know it's close, but you still got to be committed to come up here. You know, you see, like there's there's a lot of tantalizing places you know that might lure you away to an extent to go and train in different facilities in different places but you've chosen to stay here because obviously you know it it is a quality place to train at the same time you've got you know you've probably put in some good sessions here got some good memories here so you know we've come up from down south but that's probably one of those things that and we've seen this campus um, change loads haven't we since we were like yeah. I came in 2005, you came in 2006. Seven. 2007. Ish. At the end of 2007, so I got the keys to my house in August 2007 and then started training um, October, that October. So when you'd come to Loughborough, you were already double world youth champion, you were world junior champion in the 100 meters. Mm-hmm. You'd been to 2007. Did you go to Osaka World Champs? I was injured all of 2007. Um, my stress fracture. Well, two. I had two stress fractures in my back. Um, so, like you said, yeah, I'd won the World Youths, 100 and 200. I had won the World Juniors, and I was BBC Young Sports Personality of the Year. And then 2007, <laughs> we're winning. I, mean, I, I was there when you got. I was there when you won. I was like, yes. That's when it was like old school, when you guys got to actually like meet after, yeah. meet people. And, yeah, it was, it was quite intimate. That, that back was. Then. I, th- I feel like that was the last one in the BBC studios. Yeah. And um, that was quite cool because obviously you got to meet the legend that's Sue. Uh, you know, everyone loves, everyone loves a bit of Sue, Sue Barker. So, um, but yeah, it's, it was quite surreal because obviously I went to school the next day. But um, as you do, like, you know what it's like. Everybody else um, is hungover, you're at school. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, 2007, injured. Uh, you can be on a massive high as we all know what it's like. Everyone loves you, everyone adores you. You know, you've got expectations to go on and do great things. And then the next year you're told that you might not be able to sprint again so I'm in a back brace the majority of that year yeah because it was it was your back wasn't it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, still have well 
I was told that they're never healed, so it's a pause. So that means that the, the activity in regards to healing isn't going to form anymore. I actually went to go on and get another stress fracture in 2013. Um, but through all of this, I've stayed consistent. I've still made teams and I've still been about. But um, yeah, 2007, moved up to Loughborough, and that was the start of a new sort of phase, as you would say. Okay. Mm. And changed coaches? Yeah, um, I moved to, I went from Matt Favier, who's someone I'd regard as more of a father-type figure, um, to Michael Kamel, um, very good coach. Um, Learned a lot from previous coaches, uh, other coaches like Dan Faf, you'll know yourself. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I always look at coaching quite funny in a certain sense. Um, you know, when you start at your your club sessions, I, I, I look at those quite funny in the sense that that's primary school. That's you learning, but you don't know you're learning. You're sort of still finding out who you are. Yeah, you're finding out who you are as an individual, you, who, your mates, you're, you're, you're getting your friendship circles and you, you just sort of grow from that position. That was sort of my club coach. And then moving on to Matt Favier, I've now started high school. You know, that's your high school learning in a sense where, you know, you're actually figuring out more things about yourself, about what you're doing. You look at things more specifically. How do you prepare for exams? How do you prepare for competitions? Um, having to actually look at things outside of a box in regards to, you know, finding yourself in situations with relationships with squad members, like you would do with girlfriends or your mates or whatever else. And then your learning becomes a bit more specific in regards to what you're doing. Um, but yet, you know, when you leave, you know, high school, you kind of return to go see them teachers because you've got some form of relationship with them. Uh, that's what I had with Matt. And then going on to work with Michael Kamel, that was definitely more college, A-level, a little bit of university sort of styling in regards to, it's on you to turn up, it's your responsibility. No one's here to spoon feed you. It, you know, it's putting yourself first and Love trying to get, yeah, a little bit more real life. Um, and then once I transitioned from Michael Kamel, I spent four years with Kamel also, from 2009 to 2013, sorry, 2007 to 2013, so about uh, five years, six years or so. Um, I then went to Rainer Ryder. Uh, me and Rainer really were training partners there, and that is definitely more so your university life. That, that definitely is, you know, borderline masters in a sense. You know, that's where it's more so you are there for yourself. This is now your job. This is something that you're working towards. Like, yeah, no one you, else is doing you it for you. turn up to lectures, but it's your, on you to go away and write the essay. Exactly, yeah, all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, now that I'm with Benki, um, I see that similar, except from a different perspective, different angle. Like I say, when you're doing your masters, you might be focusing on specific, um, specific subjects, that being, you know, I'm learning so much more about myself and the quality in regards to the sessions that I'm doing, the breakdown of the seasons and less of a pragmatic or negative uh, pessimistic approach when things aren't going right or how things have to be. Um, so yeah, that, that's sort of like, I always try to mirror, I always think of that as mirroring that sort of scenario starting from primary school, high school and I think that's the best way to sort of explain it to people as well because for us doing our sport, it's hard for everyone to sort of get an idea of how you learn because it's like, so hang on, you go to one coach and you do the same thing. Like obviously in your position, Dan, you throw discus. So, you know, when people say to you, like, what are you working on? How do you, how do you develop this technique? How would a different coach have this in mind? And how would that, do you know what I mean? Some people just think it's just the same thing, but yeah. it's not. I think like, especially when you start out, it's like every event's technical. You, you almost start out 
being told what to do and then it becomes a conversation where mm -hmm. then you understand a lot more about your event about yourself what you really want and how you know you can process information to develop you and perform well and i think like now i don't think i don't think i don't know whether you might want to correct me on this whether top athletes are coached or whether they're just, they're just like advised in conversation to Reminded. make yeah remind them what makes them tick and what makes them work and it's um it's an interesting one because obviously when you look at it from that perspective, everyone is different. Um, certain people might have similar traits. Uh, my relationship with Benki is my current coach. He sees himself as a mentor. He sees himself as someone that will help guide you. Uh, at the same time, if you have some form of ideas, he's happy to try and help implement them. At the same time, if you need to make a call on something, he will trust you and allow you to be comfortable enough to make that call. Um, previous relationships might have been not, may not have been as uh, comparable, where you might be feeling a type of way, you can say something. Now, whether that is ad adhered to or not is slightly different. Yeah. And that's where I think as you do grow and get older with experience, you have to be around someone. If you want your opinion to matter, you've got to be around someone that respects your opinion and trusts you. It's a working relationship. If, if you don't have trust in your coach, then you're not going to adhere to the program as well as you can do. And most importantly, if your coach doesn't trust you, then he's not going to listen to anything that you do say. If you have any issues, if you have any problems, if you have any, if you have any points that might actually help the program or help move you into a direction that you might necessarily think would be beneficial for the two of you if he's not ready or she's not ready to willing to listen to that then it's it's going to be a breakdown for me my indoor season wasn't i was nowhere in the sort of place where i thought i might be um i wasn't i didn't break six seven um i was i wasn't getting to 60 as well um think certain things just weren't weren't there weren't where i needed to be uh, i had a conversation with my coach told him that I felt like um, because it's a long season we try to avoid some intensity um, so early on and I said look I think I need I'm going to be alright I'm going to need this da 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 uh, cut a long story short I'm now in a position where I'm running fast I'm moving well and obviously you don't run I've run 10-11 this season you don't run 10-11 by not breaking 6-7 to 60 yeah. so I've clearly obviously do you know what I mean that I'm, I'm no I'm no worse than athlete yeah. but just by having that conversation with my coach at that point in time to make the changes that I felt we needed to he listened to applied them to the program and we're in a much better place than we need to be talking to you now you're obviously very mature well-spoken person do you think having that grounding with Matt Favier in your high school years was the ones that kind of set you up for the rest of your career so that you could have that the opportunity to speak the way that yeah. you can speak to your coach or is that something from your family or is that something that it's just something that you've developed over the years you know what it's a good point you say that because obviously you know Matt as well so I, I could have a 10 minute uh, Matt, uh, <laughs> yeah. Matt Favre appreciation Matt conversation, yeah, he, he's um, one hell of a man he's a great guy you like Matt there his performance yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like performance director here yeah, and that. He yeah, was, it was just yeah. it was for brilliant. a short period of time um, not long enough unfortunately exactly and, and that's the thing about this sport people come and go and it's what you can take from them so you've made a point of saying do you feel that my relationship with Matt enabled me to sort of uh, bridge the gap and understand people? And I would say, yeah, because he taught me a lot in regards to analysing a situation, seeing where you can go and how to react. Um, and, you know, during that, during that high school, you know, I'll make reference to it from year seven to year 10 or year 11. Um, you know, you go through so many different things where I joined Matt when I was my, my, my club coach, Leslie Alder passed away 
um, and I was a bit coachless at the time and Matt's job was to help me, he worked for UK Athletics at the time and his job was to help me find a new coach. He was an 800 metre runner uh, in his previous career, didn't know an awful lot about sprints but knew how to manage a programme, he knew what athletes needed and when you're talented, which we all are, sometimes it's not so much about the coaching particularly from a technical aspect which we all need but when you're talented and you're moving well it's just the management of so I went through a period of time working with Matt trying to find a new coach and he just said um, you know I'm happy to help and I just said at the end of it can I just stay with you because I did have uh, coaches trying to make me go in one direction or the other now bearing in mind I went on to win the world youths so I was the fastest youth over the 100 and 200 metres. I then went on to win the World Juniors under this guy who was an 800 metre runner who didn't know much about sprints. But in that process, every Saturday, I used to go and every, I think it was every Sunday, sorry, he used to take me to Tony Lester and I used to do grass sessions there. So that's a sprint, a sprint specific coach. There was times that we went out to go train with, um, well, the, I say this in taboo now, Trevor Graham and Justin yeah. Gatlin, uh, that group in 2006 as well. So he was always learning, like some teachers do. They read the, the textbooks a week before the students to be aware of what's actually going on. My sister's a teacher. I know she's done that a few times. Um, <laughs> but what he, what he did and what he implemented in me was the understanding of that coach athlete relationship. Confidence is massive, yeah. So he could enable me with confidence, but but make me question myself in the right way. When I was naughty, I remember going to my European juniors, staying up too late, spending too long in someone's room, causing too much noise. And yeah, and he agreed with the staff that I should have been sent home. He was like, he was, he, he was disappointed in me. So it wasn't just all positive. He was, he was there to be honest and open. And then he'd ask me how I felt. He would make me feel uncomfortable by pushing me in certain directions. And the guy made me run at 800 meters a time trial. Do you know what I mean? Like this That's is, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even part of the training. It was just like, yeah. And I think I lost myself a little bit in terms of that coaching relationship because you do come across some different types of personalities. And if anything, you, you, you go through, even, even when you're talking about a normal, I hate the, using the term normal, but anyone who has a, has a job, yeah. if you're 22, 23 years old, you're not the finished product, you're still developing. If you have a boss, if you have someone else that comes in or you get a new job, you've got to figure that person out. And sometimes if you go for a job, you're made to think that you need to attack it in a certain way by those individuals. So you will query your approach and how you go about things. And it's only up until you get to a certain point where not, not are you confident in yourself, but you're your biggest fan. You are supportive of yourself because you know that you're, you're putting yourself in the best, best position possible. You will then realize you know how to surround yourself with the right people and how to apply yourself in regards to that coach relationship where you can talk to that person and say, I need this, how do we get there? Because you respect them and you know what their traits are uh, and what positives they can bring to you and you know what you can bring. Whereas in relationships before, if you haven't got that confidence and you're not your biggest fan, you will query, am I okay to ask this? And you'll, you'll allow yourself to be like led down avenues that you don't yeah. think you need to be at. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, and hindsight, um, you know, hindsight's a great thing. You know, how many times have we, should, have we said shoulda, coulda, woulda? Shoulda, and, and it's great, exactly. Too many times, like, you know, but at the same time, the, the, this is the thing, where the sport, sport is ageist. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sport is ageist. It's one of those things that sometimes it's more exciting 
similar to Love Island in a sense. They're more excited about the concept of having a relationship than they are in the relationship. You know, that's the thing about athletics. Once Some people are excited for what you can do. They're willing to sponsor you, pay you, give you time, give you everything because you could be that person. When you're doing it, that's all good and well, but could you do it better as British British individuals? Do I think that we're pessimistic? 100%. 100%. And then when you're, when you're doing it, but you're older, it's, oh, well, we're looking for someone younger to do what you're doing that we'd like to fund or pay or sponsor or support. And, you know, when I look at it, I remember, so I'm a New Balance athlete now and I've, I've fully bought into the brand. I was with Nike from, I was receiving kit from Nike when I was 15. Um, so for a, a, a 10 year period, maybe more. Um, you, you were like very much part of the Nike family for a long, long time. Yeah. Like it was, uh, as a young athlete, it was like, oh, Harry, Harry's got- So it's brand association, Nike, isn't it? Yeah. Like, yeah. You were Mr. Nike. And, yeah. um, it seems to be that uh, those relationships, like, uh, did you feel, I don't, I don't want to come away from what you were saying. I was just no, saying, yeah. with Nike, did you feel like it was, yeah, it was a great brand, but it's the two-sidedness. Did you uh, get... It was interesting. How was your experience with that? For like? me, there was a change in personnel. So Dave Scott, um, he was he's, he's my current agent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's a great guy. And I feel like what he built was that sort of family yeah, unit. Yeah, definitely. I signed into that. Definitely. Yeah, I bought into that. And he supported us well. Um, there was times, that, uh, you know, uh, aspects in regards to reductions could have been taken place, but they didn't. And he's looking to support. Because some people do see the bigger picture. But like most things, if there's a change of guard, someone younger, someone who may not know the, the, the qualities that you bring, or they're looking to start their own family, yeah. you know, they sort of come in line and then they see things differently. Now, the problem is with world-class athletics and world-class sport is people and individuals that do not partake or have never ever stood on the line in a final, semi-final, Olympics, like any global sport, I, f- I find it hard, I, I, I cringe a little bit when some people say you're not world-class, when some people don't actually know what it is to be world-class because they've never experienced it. But at the same time, this is just what, because they might be in a sport where they manage individuals that are world-class, they take on this perception of what is world-class when they physically weren't able to do it themselves. And they it's not as easy. Been there. Yeah. They haven't been yeah. through the experience. Like, Dave that. Scott was a runner, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. So like, he, he was never a world-class athlete, but he's someone who understood the sport. He was a fan of the sport exactly. primarily. And that's kind of what led him to be able to develop the family and that you, you are definitely a major part of. Yeah, so, and you know, moving on to New Balance, what I felt was an, like an even tighter knit, an even bigger family, but smaller pond in a sense, because they specifically looked at certain athletes. And it's funny, like when I was with Nike, I never really, understood the vision of where the brand was going at certain points in time uh, whereas I joined New Balance went over there for a competition and this is what I mean about us being British and pessimistic I I went over there on a Wednesday landed got taken to headquarters was amazing they had a picture of every single one of us athletes attending that day so the staff knew who was coming which identified you as someone in who they knew that they are helping to run fast and support they sit us down and take us through their next vision for the next three years, where they're looking to go with shoes, spikes, even apparel. They're listening to us to a certain point where I'm quite specific. I want some t-shirts with a curved hem, you know? <laughs> they're, they're ready to listen. They, we then uh, look forward to a competition on the, on the Saturday. 
Um, and then bearing in mind at New Balance, they have Trayvon Bromel at the time was um, third at the World Championships uh, the year before in 2015. Um, uh, and then uh, just missed out on an Olymp uh, Olympic medalist in 2016 also. So, so yeah. yeah, so this is 2017 now. So I'm sat there in a room, blah, blah, blah. Trayvon's there, but he couldn't race. I then run in the race, uh, 60 metres, not my forte. I win. Now, the time was 6.67, which is nothing groundbreaking, but was my fast, one of my fastest openers ever. As I cross the line, there's a TV camera in my face, and I want to do the British thing, like just put a hand up and be like, you know, humble. I turn around and I see the whole contingent of the staff yeah. that was working at New Balance that I met over the course of those two days whoo yeah American style like patting their chest so I was like I was like yeah you know I started patting the New Balance logo and I felt like I was a part of something now bearing in mind it's an indoor season I'm probably I'm racing in Cardiff the next week even though I'm in Boston I go to go back to my room and I'm ready to chill I then get texts to my phone from the staff guys being like Harry where you at I'm like, what? They're like, we're in the bar waiting to celebrate. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah? They then call me over, so I get into the bar and I walk in. The champ's here. The champ's here. Woo! Woo! They're going mad. I'm thinking to myself, what's going on? They're like, you had a terrible start, but you came through. You did well. Oh. And then bearing in mind, right, 2016, Trayvon Bromel, bronze medalist at the... Um, uh, world Championships in 2015. Signs with Nike, 2016, he's the World Indoor Champion. He didn't win the New Balance Grand Prix that year, yeah. but he is the World Indoor Champion. The first thing they say to me is like, hey dude, that's amazing. Trayvon couldn't even win this last year. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but I only, this is where we're British, but I only ran 667. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't care. A win is a win it, and it should be definitely. celebrated. And that's where we're so British that yeah. I feel like- We play it down, yeah. don't we? We, we play yeah. all the success, yeah. 100%, if you told someone you won a race, well, what time did you run? Yeah. Oh, I didn't run very fast. If you run a fast time, yeah. well, where did you finish? You know, celebrate everything, celebrate the way that it should be done. And being a part of that New Balance family, that's given me that sort of confidence that there's nothing wrong with being happy about celebrating those micro victories and being happy about the fact that you're progressing and being happy about the fact that you're doing something you love. Like, just celebrate whenever there's an opportunity because it doesn't come often in this sport at all. No. I, you think, know, I think you had a point you were going to bring up about... Um, living for those victories and living for the like how do you if you were talking to yourself yeah. now yeah I was like obviously it's about there's, thing, there's things in Britain where there's I've, I've seen it friends have been really successful as juniors and then not made it as seniors and there's so much pressure on that coming through obviously you're you're an absolute exception to that you've made it a senior as well how do you see it like from your point of view, obviously making it as a junior and coming through as a senior, and where is the difference between where you were then and how you see the juniors now, and how they can try and progress and make it? Is it is it easier? Is it harder? Like you know, just with the whole social media game and everything else that comes with being an athlete trying to make it onto the world stage as a senior. It's so interesting. Like it is like when you think about that question, because we always, always, always being British <laughs> again. Yeah. It is one of those things where it's like, as you're a junior, you're made aware of the fact that juniors don't make it into seniors that easy. And it's sort of like crumbling dreams before it even happens. And then you're made to think, well, I'm not going to make it. Or, or, or you go into that process where you've done well as a junior and then you're 
doing okay as a senior, but you're made to feel like you're not doing well because you're not beating these guys or you're not winning or you're not doing something. So it's been interesting because when I look back at, I'm going to use the class of 2014. The class of 2014 for me is Dina Asher-Smith, Matt Hudson, Morgan Lake, top sprinters and jumpers, heptathletes in that division. Now, 2014, I think that's when um, Dina won World Juniors, right? Now, she's an exceptional talent um, and obviously it's showing now. Um, same with Matt Hudson-Smith, that's where he sort of jumped onto the scene. He was a junior a couple years before that, but I, I put him in that bracket. Yeah, Same with Morgan. Now, look at those three exceptional talents. You, you mentioned myself as that, but these guys have all either done well as juniors or are coming through in that position. Has it been a smooth transition for them to this point? No. Are they managing it well? yes to their best abilities are they managing it in a certain sense differently to how others would each three of them are doing it differently each three of them have had different injuries each three of them had however they're doing well at this certain point in time where social media was a massive thing because we we didn't have that we didn't have that in 2006 um where there are there are people that accessing us far easily um, easier than, than they would do uh, before. Having spoken, I'm, I'm good friends with Matt, you'll know Matt Rooney as well um, you know we know these individuals <laughs> we, we love him really, we love him. So when you look at those three guys there, because I use them when you go four years later to you know last year Dina's obviously doing well but through that process it's been ups and downs yeah. uh, when you look at Matt he's, he's had ups and downs um, and you know coming and, through he's still he's, coming he's through. still coming through and they're still and young is what I like. think they're still young are any of them world champions yet you know you've got to ask that question will it happen yeah, it, it can do but the problem is is that we're made to feel like it's a failure if you're not by a certain point in time Dina did something amazing last year by getting three medals at the European Championship. She did yeah. the treble, which is bloody fantastic, considering where she came from the previous year, having hurt her uh, hurt herself on, on a box jump or something rather like that. I don't know. But I don't know the ins and outs of it. But again, it's not a smooth journey. What I would say to the youngsters, if they're listening, is just to persevere. Be your biggest fan. You've got to have the confidence in terms of saying that you're happy with what you're doing and you've got to you've got to be your biggest fan and I sit with that massively because no one else is gonna pat you on the back and tell you to go for it if they're trying to beat you. No one else is gonna pat you on the back and tell you to go for it if you're wasting their time. So you've got to be your biggest fan and believe in your abilities because not everyone is gonna tell you that every day. You've got to tell yourself that I'm bloody fantastic and I'm awesome and I wanna do the best I can do. And if I get some holdbacks, like when I look at my journey, um, double pass stress fracture 2007, still managed to make the relay team as part of uh, the Olympics in 2008. Went on to run 10.10, uh, so that was a massive PB from 10.35. 2009 went on to um, you know medal in the relay so I became the first first British athlete to medal at under 18s uh, under under 20 under 23 and senior um, but then what happened next 2010 I run 655 was ranked fifth in the world bang tear my semi-tendon um, and then it took me some time because my whole profile my racing changed I missed out on the world final by one place that happened to be Nesta Carter who you know was, drug test. Yeah. Um, who beat me in that race as well so the journey in itself has not been smooth it took me up until 2014 to get my first individual senior medal 
Now, would people say that I failed? No, because at the age of 30, I've just run my fastest legal time in you know two or three seasons. And I feel better than I did when I was 23. Because you know these things, you've got to appreciate that it's not a linear progress. You know, we've all been there. Yeah, everyone expects it to be a smooth thing, especially as a youngster. You're like, oh, I'm just, I'm running well now. Next year I'm going to yeah. run a PB. You can keep running PBs. I'm going to win the world champs like, by the time I'm 24. It's done. To look at like the bigger picture as well is, is like you got to you got to cling on to that dream, but also you got to be realistic with where you're currently at and what you can do to chip away at bringing the times down or just progressing, trying to stay injury free. So then you make it as smooth a transition as possible. It's never always going to be like that. There's yeah. always going to be obstacles, but like it, it, it's super tough. But yeah, if you can manage, like try and manage that, then... That's exactly what you're talking about. But then this is something that Matt's, that stayed with me, that Matt Favour once said to me, if you can improve everything by 1%. We live, we live in a world where, you know, if you, if, if you only get seven hours of sleep a day, try and make it seven hours 15 or seven hours seven and a half and that accumulation in time will make you feel better if you could you know improve your times in training just just by that one percent we're not trying to if, if you have everyone has their tester sessions for me it's four 120s or three 120s now if i'm if i'm only going 12 flat one season on each run and then the next season i'm going just sub you know 11 9 ish 11 9 ish 11 9 ish or, or if one of those runs could drop if you can just improve everything best as you can by that little percentage because like you said being realistic you're not just going to go from going one place to another place in a massive leap but if you can improve everything in a percentage that small little gap will add up to a lot it'll be quite interesting though, like how your mindset changed going from like 1037 down to 1010 mm. did your training change at all or like just you know just like day to day obviously you've dropped a fast time how how do you then do you because now you're a 1010 runner mm. how does that change anything it, it, do you know what it is? Sometimes, as an athlete, like I said, you need to be your biggest fan. Like, I knew that I was capable of running those sort of times. It was just a factor of doing it. So in 2000 and, uh, 2005, when I ran 10, um, 10.35 winning the World Youth, that was a PB. The following year, I had issues with my back. So I was struggling to get races in, but I went to the World Juniors and I ran 10.37. So I didn't PB, but even though I won the World Juniors, conditions weren't that favourable. It was into a headwind. Slow it was, track. yeah, slow track, all that sort of stuff. And in 2007, I took a year out. Now, I'm very much a silver lining kind of person. I think positively. So even though I spent the year out, I spent the year conditioning myself and I spent the year focusing. I, my central nervous system had a chance to refresh itself. I had a time to mentally motivate myself. I cried a little bit. I got happy a little bit and I pushed forward a little bit. When the worst happens and you're still alive and kicking and you're still able to move forward, you think to yourself, well, the worst has happened fuck it let's move on and I can I can I can I can get over this so my first it took me a while to get together again because I didn't compete for a while but I ran 659 indoors uh, which instead that I would then run fast outdoors my first race outdoors I went 1018 but then I tore my hamstring then I had to do training again and then I got back and then I went 1010 in a race where I just sort of relaxed now throughout that process I sat down to myself and I was like well I knew that I was capable of running those times and I knew that I could but it took me from 2008 to 2013 to break that PB. I was running 10 ones consistently. I ran, uh, ran it quite a few times, I ran 10 a few times windy. But then all of a sudden, boom, three seasons in a row, or in, in and around three seasons, 2013, 2014, and 2016, I run the same time three times. 10.08, 10.08, 10.16, 10.08. Now for me, 
it's more so the fact that I know I can run sub 10. I am a sub 10 athlete in regards to what I have. I might need great conditions to do so. I'm not going to sit here and say that at this moment in time, I'll be able to run sub 10 seconds into a minus two headwind. I do think that I need some favorable things on my side to run fast. Yeah, yeah. But, so does everyone though. Like it's, yeah. sub 10 is such a time that people don't, they just assume that everyone can run sub 10 because Bolt was running nine five. Well, no, yeah. it's an incredibly fast yeah. time. So, yeah. How many percentage of people have ever run under 10 seconds? It's I mean, the, minor, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. The, the problem is, is that the list is growing and the depth that we have in this sport is fantastic. However, we don't have the sort of, with the likes, you know, Christian Coleman starting to dominate now. Uh, in the 100 metres but I think we've had the last couple of years where Diamond Leagues are not running 9-7 you know regularly um, obviously Coleman won the Brussels Diamond League final in 9-7-9 but we're talking about the concept that when I was on the circuit in the year like 2007s 2008s 2009s you were seeing races in the Golden League or Diamond League being won in 9-7 by if it wasn't Bolt then it was uh, Johan, if it wasn't Johan, then it was Tyson Gay, and if it wasn't Tyson Gay, then best believe a Suffer Powell was there running nine eight every day of the week. Is it Mulling? Mullins? Steve Mullins. He was another one. He was another one, and then that's what I'm trying to say. So, jokes there. When you haven't got like those top five there in bolt. So would you Johan. say there's a bit more of an open door then to the hundreds? I, I think Christian Coleman's starting to take a grip on it now. Uh, Ronnie Baker was doing that a couple of years ago, running those high nine eights, nine nines. Um, Gatlin obviously when Gatlin was in, in shape he's I think 2000 and 2015 he was a beast he was absolutely doing doing the most um, annoyingly good to watch <laughs> I like Gatlin I like watching Gatlin um, as a technician I was like yeah. you're incredible like, yeah. I think he does things that not many people in the world can do hit shapes that yeah. I could only dream of hit he's, he, he was my idol growing up 2004 Olympics I was rooting for him. I was watching him. I think that was, to date, this is one of the most round by round. Sean Crawford wearing his hat in the quarterfinals. Yeah, cool. Sean Crawford and him in the semifinals having a conversation, still running sub 10. Like, those things there, people don't see. Um, when they look at Boat and Johan at 2012 Olympics, like, that was all good and fun. But that, if people saw Athens with Francis Obikwelu running European record, finishing and saying, I had to do it, you know, like, I had to get in a mix. Mo Green was still in there as well, finishing third. Kim Collins was in that final. Like, you know, there's there's some great things. Suffer Powell's in that final as well. If for the sprinters out there, if you're listening, go back and watch the rounds and educate yourself through that process and you'll see what like an Olympic final when no one knew who was gonna win. That's 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 yeah, what's right. exciting about our sport. It was open. I remember watching I remember as a kid like Gatlin was this uh, kind of chubby faced guy who was mm. just like no one expected him to win and it was yeah. like bang the business bearing in mind he had run he'd won the world indoors that's that's what's crazy he, yeah. he was his world indoor champion at the time and people still discounted him um asafa powell was there that's something that was amazing morris green made a comeback um and big it's names. big names massive names in the sport that you know for for all my young budding sprinters out there if you want to do your homework and you want to look at how some of the guys conducted themselves and and trained and whatever else th those are the guys that you want to look up on youtube <laughs> not, not yourself. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, I'm I'm on Insta. You know, you can see me every week. I'm I'm gonna post my stuff. I'll be training. Can we quickly touch upon your Instagram? Because yeah. there's not many athletes who do social media well, <laughs> and you're pretty much the at the peak of it. Like you're pr pretty much the best social media person out there. Like, what's your your thought process? Seems to be just having fun. Yeah. 
Tell us your secrets. <laughs> Shut up. Do you know what? There's no secrets, man. It's, uh, do you know what? I found I found a platform. I mean, let's have a word with the algorithm, guys, right? But <laughs> but no, I found I found a platform which allows me to express myself. Um, I'm not I'm not a Twitter guy. When Twitter came out, I struggled to get across what. I like to do and say, and some people are far more uh, quantitative. Oh, like you Twitter. know, yeah, see, I've got Twitter's. Yeah, yeah. I've got the yeah. face of Twitter. You got the face of Instagram. Exactly, and <laughs> well, for thanks, me, mate. But Twitter, you can't get sarcasm because yeah. you write in sarcasm, and yeah. it's there in black and white. And you're like, what? And yeah. they can't read into it. Where if you do an Instagram story and you're mm. doing sarcasm, it's fine. People get it because yeah. it's sarcasm. Yeah. It's and hard. I mean, it might not be for everyone to to be how I am. It's just you know, if 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 you do want to get your story across and if you do want to sort of get get across how you train or just just do it in the way that you feel comfortable for me I do like talking to the camera I do like sort of expressing myself and it's a good outlet like when you when you are feeling a little bit anxious a bit a little bit nervous a little bit it's good to let people know what you're going through sometimes you know we're we're in a, we're in a cycle of mental health where people are, are talking about not not getting things out I think you know sometimes you do it well Rooney where you, you'll do a debrief of if you run badly or to the degree where you don't feel that that was acceptable, you will go on social media and say, I ran like a donkey or I didn't run very well or I'm feeling this way or, and you'll get that across and it's honesty. But you talk about some people dealing with depression and you talk about some people not being able to find an outlet. There's lots of people out there. I remember Commonwealth Games, I didn't run very well. I didn't make the final and I was disappointed in the amount, the outpour that I got from individuals just saying, you know what, nah, like keep your head up. Like you've done so well, like you're doing the country proud and this and that. And the next thing you know, I, I ran a storming leg in the relay, conducted yep. myself brilliantly over two legs, and I went on to get a gold medal from that process with the team. And you've just got to, I like social media, and I, I find it funny through phases where when something new is introduced, again, this is where it's testing for a lot of different coaches, athletes, because it's fairly new in our era. Some of the old school guys will be like, nope, it's a distraction, you know? Yeah, Michael Johnson, you no, can't be on Twitter during a race. When you look at all the footballers, you know, the Pogbas of this world, they're made to feel like social media is not, but it's a part of our sport. And to be fair, there is a marketing aspect there. I have I have gained some financial reward through social media. And I mean, that's that's quite big for me because I'm not on, I'm not on funding. I don't receive any funding. Obviously, I'm sponsored by New Balance, but... I still need to make a living. So the fact that there is that option there for me to tap into, it's amazing. So, but you've also got to think of yourself as a brand. Um, I went through that sort of development after the Olympics in 2016. I did my little pec dance and then I got some attention for it. It went on Buzzfeed, it went on here, it went on there. But then I asked myself, I had a question of, I was losing some followers. I went from about 11,000 to 21. And then by, that was, that was sort of like by Christmas time um, of 2016. And I noticed I went from 21 to about 19, so I was losing followers. So I thought to myself, people followed me because I was a professional athlete. So then I do still, maybe that's what they want to see. So I made a brand in and around that. Um, when I say branded it, I just designed a little logo, just made sure that it was official, that people knew that they were following this guy. And, and I start, sort of just went into the training side more. But we all train. There's no real secret. We all do the pretty much same similar things. It's hard work. And then what else do you add behind it? I just, my little bit of personality. If you want to see what I'm like and buy into my process, then, then this is me out there. And I'm, I'm not scared to... I like to dance. I like to laugh. I like to take the piss out like, myself. If I could so. dance, I would dance as well. But <laughs> yeah. Because you can dance. Yeah. It looks good when you do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I miss that in the gym. <laughs> power base. Power base back in the day. We had that place. 
we had that base written down. To be fair, we, we are the old OGs of Loughborough. We've we've probably oh yeah we've we put down our stint and label on this place. I think um, I'm still yet to get my picture up in the high pack like these two, but you know I'm, I'm, I'm take Jamili down. He's not here anymore. Take mine down. No, oh, you got yeah, two. Got two. Yeah. <laughs> that's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, you, the real king saying, of Loughborough right here. Take two one pictures. down. You know, <laughs> leave the good one up. But yeah. you know, he's a dod when he's got two. In one both vests, one in the one in the Loughborough vest, one in the GV vest, just to let people know. <laughs> I am the Don. I'm not the Don. Yeah. Right, I, I really need to shoot. Um, yeah. I don't think we've really we've done an amazing what 40 minutes, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to get you on again, Harry, because there's yeah. so many more things I want to talk to you. Yeah. I don't think people We're understand how uh, articulate you are and how wise you are like obviously we're like we're old boys of this team but like <laughs> I, I think we need to get more of you out there and more on this kind so I'd love to get you on here again yeah, yeah. do you know what it is I think sometimes when you act so happy and go lucky and sort of there's a side that people don't necessarily see because is never really approached I think some sometimes people take kindness or weakness so I've experienced that a lot but for you to say that I'm honoured I appreciate that. Mate, so we've always wanted to get you on, and it's great to yeah. chat to you, mate. It's been such an insight. Yeah. Well, you've you've allowed me to vent. I've got I've got a few things off my chest. I'll happily be back. Um, part two is pending. Part two is pending. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks very much. much. Cheers. Thanks, Harry. Sweet.